Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. A River to Cross, A Story of Life, Hollis McGehee, Copyright 2018, All Rights Reserved. This is a book about life, and as such is presented in parts that to some extent reflect different phases and stages in life and results in some gaps. In order to facilitate transitions between those phases and stages, in order to emphasize certain important spiritual truths, and to generally help the reader travel through this work, I have inserted some travel aids that I call waypoints. The first waypoint is by far the most important, and if you miss everything else in this book, don't miss waypoint number one, which points the way to the only hope we have in this world. Waypoint number one, salvation. The journey in life as a Christian does not begin until and unless we are born again, born not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. How does that happen? Jesus said in John 3 above that we must be born again, a second birth that is spiritual, and this is the way the second birth occurs. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. God loves us and made a way for us to be saved by believing in Jesus and his finished work. Jesus' final words on the cross were, It is finished. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. 
Jesus was simply saying he had finished his work of accomplishing salvation. He had paid for our sin debt in full. Jesus made a way for us to come to the Father through his own finished work accomplished on the cross. Jesus also said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. God has made a way. The way is Jesus. Jesus has done all of the work for us to be saved, and salvation is a gift to us from God. How do we receive this gift of life, this new birth from God? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. When we are by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, born again, our life's journey as a Christian begins. This wonderful gift is ours in this one way only, as a gift from God for which Jesus Christ paid in full and to which we can add nothing. Before being born again, we may think of ourselves as trusting in God for various things like a new job, a car, safe travels, protection for our family, and those are all great and demonstrate some level of trust, faith in God. But that is not saving faith. Saving faith, which is given to us by God as well, is when we completely quit trusting in anything we have done or could ever do and place our trust fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
When we are born again, we repent of our sins, turn away from our old life, and seek from then on, led by the Holy Spirit who now resides in us, to follow Jesus Christ as our example in all the rest of our lives. It does not mean you won't ever get off the path. You will. It does not mean you will feel a certain way or a different way. You might and you might not. What it does mean is that our lives will become different. People will see the changes in us over time. The process of salvation is both instantaneous but also a lifelong process as God's grace works in us day by day, night by night, challenge by challenge to transform us into the person God put us here to be, that is, to be Christ-like. If you place your trust in Christ now, I encourage you to share that with someone. And if you're not affiliated with a Bible teaching and believing church, then find one and get involved. Tell the pastor, and as soon as possible, seek to confirm your salvation to the world by water baptism. Prologue. Well, Hollis, are you preaching or drinking? Drinking or preaching? What are you doing now? I never know which one, but I know you're doing one or the other. Those words pierced the depths of my soul to a place long untouched. This jolting proclamation was made in a crowded gathering of family and friends and at a time when I hoped to show that I was, quote, well, end quote. I am keenly aware of my own failures and generally free to confess them. The timing and circumstances of this penetrating question cut deep, leaving me with a feeling of failure. Nevertheless, I managed to reply with at least what I hope was an outward appearance of calm and peace. Neither. I am just writing and judging. Inside, I felt like my entire life had been completely invalidated. Several months later, while walking near my home along Black Creek Trail in the DeSoto National Forest, those same piercing words came crashing back into my mind. Are you preaching or drinking? Yes, indeed. Just what is the essence of my life? Of what does my life consist now? Then I realized the words, are you preaching or drinking, diagnosed my entire life. Indeed, from the earliest memories to present, I can see that the entirety of my 64 years have been comprised of periods when I was either, quote, preaching, end quote, or, quote, drinking, end quote. This book was originally undertaken to understand how and why I wound up 60-plus years of age alone and fighting a third slide back into the dark bottomless pit of death called alcoholism. The story that follows is my story, and it was originally written as a part of a mental-slash-emotional process of seeking to review and understand my life and how I might avoid a repeat of uncontrolled alcohol abuse and all of the attending circumstances that inevitably accompany such a failure. I have since come to realize there was a much deeper purpose for the writing of the first part of this story and the rewrite that appears here. It has been said, likely by more than one, that no book should be written except that which may not be contained within. Only write that which of its own weight and force comes forth from the soul. 
I can honestly say that what follows is just such a writing. If you read the whole of this effort, I think you will readily agree this account could have come only from a higher source than the one whose name the book bears. To be sure, there's a lot of me in here, and that part I ask you to work past to get to the meat of what God has here for each of us. A word of gentle caution. The struggles I document here are not unique to me. We all share in these struggles. The good things noted here are solely the work of the Creator. With that said, it must also be noted, and this I must simply state on faith, yet I know it better than I know things on which I could lay my hand. All good is from God, and it is all by His grace. Yet there is a part of our heart that must be ready and willing to yield itself to God's moving and at the same time could not yield itself but that God enabled it to happen. All that is good is from God, but we each have our part, yet it is absolutely from Him. This is a deep and immovable spiritual truth wrapped in an unsolvable conundrum. Thinking back now on the earliest days of my life, before I was even three years old, I found the path that led to destruction, and it's always been like that, traveling the dark road and then coming to the light. Over and over, this process has repeated and stamped itself on my life. The low road involved living out self-centered behavior, drinking, acting out inappropriately as I look for my place in the world. The remainder of my life was preaching in the sense of mostly walking with a daily goal of keeping my eyes lifted to God. All of the trails making up my life were taken as a part of a search for my place with a repeated failure to live in the moment and trust only God. That is the true key to being a person after God's own heart. Who am I? Why am I here? And what is my place with God? I just want to be me. Most of the sober drunks that I know today will confess that a major factor in their alcohol abuse was trying to fit in or feel comfortable in their own skin. What I could have accomplished if I had understood all this six decades earlier, but that is where the story starts, and I would not be me if I had traveled some other path. Part one was written in real time when I felt like I was fighting and clawing to survive. Footnote, I first wrote this account in 2012 to 2013. I am not going to make any substantive change to what I wrote then because it came up from my deepest consciousness at a vulnerable and challenging time in my life. Waypoint number two, history of part one. Part one was not originally written as a book. Its original purpose was self-reflection in an effort to understand challenges and failures I experienced and how not to repeat them. Now, as a book for the public, the goal is the same, but additionally to encourage readers to take an honest and thorough look at their own lives, to understand God's call on each of us, and to avoid duplicating mistakes made by me. While I feel sound about the accuracy and scriptural foundation of the spiritual matters presented here, 
It is my strongly held opinion and belief that each of us should check anything that I or anyone says or writes against the whole counsel of Scripture, and anywhere it departs therefrom, it must be rejected. Part 1. A River to Cross Barely sober, separated from my wife of over 35 years, alone, my life and family in shreds, and living where I had once done most of my drinking. I was living with a deathly fear of a slide back into the abyss of active alcoholism. I felt the earth moving under my feet, and the feeling was not good. The strong will, the one that worked both for me and against me, came welling up into a fierce determination to live, to survive, to make it through this transition sober and in one piece. I began to feel that victory over lifelong demons could be mine if I could just stay sober long enough to think it through and write it all down. I had been to this precipice before, and knowing life could turn either way, I was determined to live the life I was created to live. I began by delving deep into my conscious memory, taking an honest and critical look into the events of my life from earliest childhood coming forward. I literally sat down and began to write down the first things my brain recorded in the deep mental recesses not since destroyed by alcohol. The results were compelling, poignant, hilariously funny, deeply sad, and interesting. There emerged a story of growing up in the rural south. The deeper picture, the one I was looking for, revealed patterns and pictures of an addictive life in the making. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they call that stinking thinking, and my investigation of my own life reveals that behavior appearing in earliest childhood. The patterns of preaching and drinking, drinking and preaching, were there from my earliest recollections. One side of my family has a long family history of addictive behavior. Yet history alone is not, in my opinion and experience, an unavoidable sentence compelling one to carry on the history of those who went before. Though I had followed those addictive paths for much of my life, I could now avoid going back down those destructive paths. The key is being willing to take an unflinchingly honest look at myself. Who am I, how I got here, and how I can get back? across the river, to the person God created me to be. Then I have to act on what I've learned, be willing to embrace the person I really am and not the illusion I have presented to myself for 60-plus years. A river to cross is born from desperation, a desperate and last effort to avoid a third final and fatal fall into the mental abyss and very real grave where unabated addiction always leads. It is an honest, telling, and sincere effort to help me stay sober, grow in sobriety, and become a productive, giving member in the world in which I live. The result is clear hope for me and for you. The sum of you who are on the very path I describe, but also for you who are not where God called you to be. An honest evaluation puts us all in that place. This is a story of a spiritual journey with a sincere effort to tell it like it was and is. 
There is also story here of growing up in the rural south of the 1950s and 60s of rural life with all of its idiosyncrasies, laughter, and amazement, and just good old-fashioned country fun. This is a story of how, like rivers, our lives ebb and flow through the floods and changes life brings our way. Tragically, in my case, if there wasn't a flood, I would somehow manage to find one of my own creation. Not natural, but very devastating. Prelude. What does it mean when a door that has always been open is suddenly closed? Jails have played a prominent role in my life. I've been going in and out of prisons and jails since the late 1960s. I have gone from visiting prisoners in the county jail during my teenage years to working with transitional living inmates at Parchman during my law school days. As an attorney, I have been in many prisons and jails across the state of Mississippi to counsel with clients charged with crimes. As a child of God, I have visited with inmates for spiritual purposes, from the county jails to maximum security and death row at the Mississippi State Penitentiary at Parchment. For 50 years, I have passed in and out of these many jails and prisons freely, but on this night, it's different. I am shackled to a gray steel bench, and the massive jail door is an opening for me this time. What do you do when your life is turned upside down? How did I get here? Why? When you find yourself on the wrong side of the river, how do you get back across? A river to cross is a story of life, its challenges, its blessings, and its saving. This is the story of my life, yet there's nothing unique about me or my life. Just as I am intertwined with the Homochitta River, so are we all intertwined at the deepest and most basic part of our being. It is my hope and prayer that reading this will encourage and help you to honestly look at your life and see how you got where you are and how to get across the river to where you want to be and more pointedly, where God created you to be. We all have room and cause for reflection and we all have a better place to go. My life has involved crossing many rivers, crossing and recrossing the same river many times, parenthesis, preaching to drinking, drinking to preaching, in parenthesis. The good news for me is this, I finally know which side of the river is for me. I can now answer that pointed question with assurance. It's not drinking, and by God's grace, it never will be again. With the help of the Lord, I'm on the right side of the river. I never want to go back across. We all have a river to cross. With the help of God, let's cross this river together. The key to crossing the river is simply trusting God and stepping out into the river. When we do our part, God always does His.